Mac Power Users, episode 682, full of surprises. Hello and welcome back to Mac Power Users. My name is Stephen Hackett. I'm joined by my friend and yours, Mr. David Sparks. Hey, Stephen. How are you today? I am great. How are you? I am relaxing here in California. We're still dealing with the cold weather. Thank you for all the nice emails to people about the snow. Uh, it, we did get snow in my neighborhood, but not low enough in my house. I live in the foothills, and about another 300 feet of elevation up, there was snow, but we didn't get it. But that would have been wild. It's never snowed where I lived my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw pictures and, and I've got other friends in the LA area and it seemed like everyone was freaking out. I think rightfully so. <laughs> well, we are not equipped for it. Definitely like the it'd be like don't drive yeah. if it was actually snowing, but the um it, it really wasn't that big of a deal. I took my bonsai trees in the house for a couple nights so they got to stay in indoor studios. Uh but otherwise, that was basically the the whole inconvenience for me. Yeah. And, and the Ewoks are already sex. They're, they're furry, you know? Yeah, so. exactly. They have their fur. They're good. Staying they took warm. care of the trees and, uh, you know, <laughs> then I put them back outside in the sun. Yeah. I mean, before you know it, it's going to be way too hot here. So I, all my oh, yeah. California friends who are complaining, I'm like, just, just enjoy it. Put a sweater on. Mm-hmm. In fact, you can put on one of your fancy new Max Sparky sweatshirts. Thank you everybody for buying them. That was fun. I ordered a couple myself too. Um, but the, uh, yeah, it's all good, but it was really nice. You know, it's like when you have weather or I have weather, we always get nice emails from listeners and it's nice to know people are thinking about you. Absolutely. So today is a, uh, feedback episode. So we got a bunch of listener feedback over the last four to six weeks. We're going to go through and on more power users, you're going to tell us about your car situation and how CarPlay fits into that. And You've had an exciting week. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I like to drive my cars until the wheels fall off, and then I, like, duct tape them on and drive a little longer. I'm not a, a fancy car guy, but uh, my transmission failed in my car this week. So, And it's 160,000 miles, so I'm going to be getting a new car, and that's a whole thing. Uh, so we're going to talk about that. Yes. I love talking about cars, and no one will let me do it, so... Well, this is this is our uh, this is going to be our our chance to do it on Good. the Mac Power Users. Yeah. Good. Uh, well, let's uh, start this feedback episode talking about Evernote export. So this this reaches back to our notes episode a while back. I don't even know yeah. how long. But we got a bunch of email on it somehow. You know how it's funny how this stuff just comes in in phases. It does. We heard from Jurgen in Germany, and uh, he's talking about exporting notes from Evernote with version 10 is restricted to 100 notes. I'm like, dude, can you believe that? They decided to uh, put a 100-note limit on their export. Talk about user hostile, right? I mean, come on. (laughs) But anyway, so he, the way he handled it was he went and installed a legacy version of Evernote. He even gave us a link for the, for the file. Um, It's on the Evernote uh, CDN server. So this is legit. And you can go there if you want to export more than a hundred notes from Evernote. Jurgen found a way around that. We'll give you that link. And thank you, Jurgen, for the, for the hot tip there, because I can't think of anything worse than being like in Evernote, deciding you want out of it, but you can only export your notes 100 at a time. Yeah, that's 100% hostile behavior. 
And Evernote's got a new owner, so I don't know if that's previous management or new management, but that should change. That's that's terrible. And, you know, I, uh, like this email says, and like so many people who use these applications, if you have thousands of notes, like just good luck with that. I forgot that Evernote got, who, who bought Evernote? I is remember seeing that in the news. Bending Spoons, I think is the name of the company. That's right. That's right. Yeah. They yeah, have a couple other apps in their portfolio. Um, they had some layoffs, I think, just last week, actually. But it's, uh, yeah, been purchased. Well, they're not alone. A lot of people in Silicon Valley are having layoffs right now. Apple, there was a news item that Apple's uh, like getting rid of a lot of their contractors. But, you know, they didn't grow as much as some of the other companies. Did, so they're not doing massive layoffs. But, you know, things uh, constrict sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's not all we heard about Evernote. We heard from Ranny, and he had we had a multiple email exchange with Ranny, and uh, I was very interested in his story because he'd been using Evernote since 2008. He had 12,600 notes, and he was slowly getting them into Apple Notes, and it was kind of an evolution where he was moving them in kind of slowly basically because of the Evernote limitation. <laughs> but, you know, he would start building it up, and he was really happy with uh, Apple Notes as a replacement. And then a few weeks later, he says, hey, about that note I sent you, uh, I continue to add notes when I reach the six to 7,000 range, everything changed. Well, not everything, but I spent a lot of time watching a spinning ball. It seems like it would catch up and have a good response, but as soon as I did anything, it seemed like it was back to catching up bottom line as it worked with a smaller number of notes. So um, I do think that there's something going on with Apple notes. When you get past 5,000 that you're going to start having issues. So many notes. I mean, I feel like I've got a lot, but it's really only a few hundred and having a, having 5,000 and it be a bottleneck is a bummer because you've already done the work to get 5,000 notes in there. Right. And agreed at that point, I think you're looking at something that treats notes more like individual files and not a database the way notes does. And so something like Obsidian or DevonThink or uh, you know other applications like that may be a better fit because they're going to treat treat it as a directory of files and that's going to be faster. Yeah, I would I would probably say DevonThink is where I would start if you're coming from Evernote because you're probably used to having a lot of attachments. Yep. And Dev, DevonThink is much better at that than Obsidian. If they're text heavy, then maybe Obsidian or even Craft. But yeah, but but that's just kind of good knowledge to have if you're using Apple Notes the, to know that look, you get to a certain level and it's going to slow down. My guess is it's probably something in the way the database is managed. Yeah, but you're hanging it up somewhere. Um, I looked; I have about 250 notes in Apple Notes, and some of them are sample notes from screencasting I do. But I I've actually got quite a few in there. Um, and I use it actively for my personal notes. And I put, you know, my Max Barkey stuff in Craft and Obsidian for like all my thinking stuff. So mm-hmm. I, I've got different places for them. But I, I really do like Apple Notes. I mean, that, that coverage of that show that we gave it, I think, is real, really justified because Apple's done such a good job giving us a free notes app that for most people is, is all you're going to need. Uh, we also got uh, some feedback about Freeform, uh, the uh, Apple's new sort of infinite can- canvas whiteboarding application. 
And some people wrote in with some alternatives and reasons that they, they may like those alternatives. Yeah. Um, we actually, several people wrote in uh, talking about alternatives. There, there's a lot of folks that like these infinite canvas apps. I'm definitely in that space as well. Um, but we got some recommendations uh, from numerous people, Paul, Eduardo, Jonathan, several of you wrote in. Um, uh, several people recommended Google Jamboard, which I don't have any experience with, but that's kind of the Google version of this. Of course, they have a version of this. Um, another one that I am not familiar with is Explain Everything, but my teacher daughter says that one is actually pretty good for teaching. Um, but the one that uh, several people recommended was Miro, which I do use. I have an account with Miro. And uh, Miro to me is cleaner. It's got some better tools, but it is not as integrated as Freeform is. And mm-hmm. of course, Freeform is version one. But if Apple had not come out with Freeform, I would have a paid account with Miro. But instead, I just have a couple documents in there. And eventually, I'm going to move them over to Freeform. Since we recorded that show, I've been building out all my workflows for Team Max Sparky in Freeform and sharing it with the team. And I find it quite useful for that. And I'm not really pushing the limits to it the way you and I did with that that outline we did on that show. I mean, in hindsight, it really wasn't very fair. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> brand new app. We really we really pushed it hard. But the um, but for the stuff I'm actually doing with it under fire. It seems fine. Mm-hmm. Um, the the other feedback we got from a lot of people is saying, you know, I really like it, but you know, I work with people that are on PCs or my clients are sure. not on Mac, or and you know, that's a completely legitimate complaint. And and yet, Apple's never going to, in my opinion, or at least anytime soon, make like a web view or a Windows app or something where you're going to be able to share with clients. So, with my what I would say is, if you're doing something like that then either find a tool that's on that platform too or reduce it to PDF. Like I used to do that all the time with OmniGraffle and OmniOutlining files where I would, when I was practicing law and you know I'd want to send it off to a client, I would ultimately save it as a PDF and send it to them and just not give them the ability to edit it, which I thought was kind of fine. In fact, in some ways preferred. And then I still got to use the good tool. Mm-hmm. But if your client needs to get in there and they're on Windows, then Freeform is not going to do it for you. Yeah, it's it's the iWork problem, right? It's that these are really great if you're in the ecosystem. Now, iWork apps are on the web uh, on the iCloud site, and I, I could I could see Freeform, you know, maybe making it there at some point, but that's not a priority for Apple right now. And even with iWork being there, I don't know how widespread usage is of the <laughs> the iWork iCloud stuff, but it makes sense for them, right, to be sort of uh, ecosystem first. Now, one place I would like to see Freeform show up, and we got some feedback about this too uh, via the feedback form uh, on the website, is that uh, having, even if it was just a viewer, having a Freeform viewer on uh, tvOS, and I think we may have mentioned that, sort of glanced off of it in the episode, but if you're thinking about, you know, sort of a conference room setting, and you have a bunch of people with their laptops and you're in free form if that's what you've adopted. Having it be on TVOS would let you view it, you know, really easily without having to someone, you know, hook up their laptop or something. So I think there's room for this, for Apple to expand Freeform. But look, it's it's a one point, I think it's a 1.1 now. They had some bug fixes out, including some of the things we talked about. But uh, it's going to take time for this to become more fully fleshed out if it ever does. 
Yeah, and I uh, I think if they were spending time on like a web version right now, that would upset me because I feel like they should be spending time making it better for what it is currently mm-hmm. than trying to expand it. Although the Apple TV app is such a no-brainer, I, I think that should show up soon. I would like to see that happen. Yeah, me too. I don't know. So are you using Freeform now after we recorded the show? Did you just kind of put it away and never open it again? Yeah, not not for anything collaborative, but I am very slowly working on a Freeform board that lays out my home network. And I'm like probably like halfway through it. And uh, really, I just haven't ever documented it. And it's for my own sanity, but also I'm putting like, okay, what's the IP address of the router? And, you know, what's my external IP address? Because I'm on a business class, so I have a static IP. And that stuff is kind of scattered across some Apple notes and probably in some emails somewhere. And so uh, I'm building out a a freeform document with all of that there. And uh, it's been fun. And it's one of the, the things that I like about freeform. One of the things we talked about is it plays so nicely with other media you know, I have like a press image of a Mac mini. I can just drag it in here. And then I have like a little Mac mini in my freeform document and other apps do that too. But freeform makes it really easy to kind of bring in that multimedia. So, um, I've been slowly chipping away on that, but I'm not a big whiteboard person like you are and definitely not in any collaborative sense, uh, with anybody else. And so for me, I'm, I'm using it to keep up with it. You know, because it's a topic area, not because it's, you know, changed a lot about how I work. The thing I struggle with is the line between Freeform and OmniGraffle because I just paid my renewal for OmniGraffle, so I have it for another year. And I've just used that app so much over the years, and it's been so helpful to me, and I really know it well. And it's really good for making, like, really clean diagrams, whereas Freeform is really more of a tool for, like, kind of a whiteboard tool. and. Yeah. There's part of me that thinks, well, maybe I don't need OmniGraffle and I could just do it in free form. But then every time I open OmniGraffle, I like it so much, I just want to keep using it. So I, I don't really know where I'm going to ultimately land on that. But I did kick the can down the road by by resubscribing for another year of OmniGraffle. But that's uh, that's where I'm kind of confused about it. But uh, I also kind of want to see what Apple does with it, you know, how much much effort they put into it you know we this is an ongoing theme on the show and it seems like apple is putting more wood behind the arrow on all these productivity apps so it wouldn't surprise me to see Mm -hmm. that this evolves to such a degree that it replaces software yeah yeah i think it's i think they're serious about it i mean we we've come back to that a bunch over the last couple of years that they take their first party apps they seem to take them more seriously than i was afraid they used to uh, there was a, a period of time where I was a bit worried that nothing was going on. And now, I mean, you got mail and free form and notes and reminders, I think being the four sort of mainstream apps that they're really putting a lot of a lot of wood behind the arrow. And that's uh, that's exciting to see because it makes third party apps better, too. Right. And it makes the ecosystem more valuable to everybody. I mean, just think like, was it three or four years ago? The Mac seemed like it was on life support. The Apple apps were dying on the vine. It is such a changed world. Yeah, it really is. Uh, Speaking of Mac and Apple productivity apps, we've covered reminders under several contexts over the last few months, which brought in a bunch of email. Steven has a little bit of a hack for reminders. When I was talking about reminders, I bemoaned the fact that it doesn't have defer dates. Right. 
Um, it only has due dates. In fact, see, Stephen wrote saying, well, you said it only, it didn't have due dates as well as defer dates, but it really only has due dates. It doesn't have defer dates. Right. Or, or, or start dates is what maybe some other apps may call that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I OmniFocus calls them defer dates. So yeah. it's in my brain. But yeah, sure. Basically it's a way to make a task disappear until a certain date. So, um, if you know, if you want to pay your taxes in April, you don't need to be looking at that in January. It just shows right. up in April. And that's kind of nice because I don't want to think about paying my taxes every day. Same. You know, but the, um, so the way, uh, since most tasks are in projects and they have more than one thing you have to do in order to complete them, what he does is he creates a task for the project and gives it a date and time, then creates a sub stack within that task to give each date and time underneath it. Because in reminders, you can have subtasks, you can tier them. So he basically gates it with that, that date on the originating task or the project name. Yeah. And then if you set up a view, which you can do now in reminders to say, well, just show me the ones that are due. That's in effect, turning it into a start date. And I thought that was a good idea. It's a good way to do it. That's it's super not clever. Yeah, it's not the same thing, and it, it still doesn't really solve the problem that I have. But I, I, uh, I appreciate uh, sharing that. I think some people out there may want to try that out. Yeah, yeah. The the smart list stuff and reminders really is powerful. Um, I was playing with. Oh, so I'm, I want to talk about projects versus area of responsibility in a second. But one thing I was playing with in reminders is like, well, I have a separate list for each of my podcasts. What if they were all just one list and I used tags, which I'm not really a big fan of, and had like a folder of smart lists where if I just want to look at MPU, I could do that. But And what I realized was kind of like just rearranging chairs. Like it was basically accomplishing the same thing at the end of the day. But But using something you don't like. (laughs) Yeah, using something I don't like. Uh, But it it really is, uh, there's enough flexibility and reminders now to kind of build your own system around the decisions Apple has made, or maybe even features they haven't implemented yet. I mean, they may have deferred dates at some point in the future. Who, who knows? So I think this is this is really clever. And if you're using reminders, you're thinking about it, and it's kind of like one or two things it doesn't quite do the way you like, uh, SmartList may be a way around it. It, it. You know, it may be that you can kind of build your own thing within it. I mean, like we said in that episode, reminders is the real deal now. It's not what I would call a level 10 task manager, but it's definitely a level six or seven. And a lot of people are able to use it just fine to handle all of their tasks. Mm -hmm. So what are you talking about projects and areas of responsibility? So this just made me think, uh, Steven's email made me think about how I organize my task manager. And it's been the same basically forever where I will like, so let's talk about work. I've got a Relay FM admin project, Relay FM membership project, a project for each of my podcasts. I don't really spin up projects that are going to be short term. So say that I, you know, say that I take on a freelance thing for somebody very, very rarely does that become its own project. Usually it just becomes tasks in a, you know, like a freelance project that most of the time is basically empty. And I, I was curious what, how you thought about that because you have more, I think your work is more project-based than mine is because you've got uh, the field guides and you work on sort of longer-term things for the labs. 
and I just am very, it takes a lot, I think, for me to create a project. I'm, I'm pretty hesitant about it. And so I, I view my top level and my task manager as areas of responsibility, not, and with projects kind of under that sometimes. I was curious how you, how you did that, what you thought about that. Well, I think you and I are a lot closer than you think. Um, I, I consider like the fundamental building block of all productivity for me is the roles stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I talk about this in the focus podcast, but I have like, I define myself by each role, like, and I try to get better at them. That's, that's my whole productivity system is like husband, father, Max Barkey, brother, you know, all the things that I do as a role in my life and then try to look at how I'm doing on them. So the building block of a task system for me, whether it's in reminders or OmniFocus is a folder with the name of the role in it. Mm -hmm. And when I was a practicing lawyer, I had so many projects because everything got its own project because you can't drop the ball on anything as a lawyer. You know, you don't want to let the client down. You don't want to make a mistake. So I had hundreds of active projects at any one time, but in the year since I've stopped doing that, it has really consolidated. And I have several of them that are more generic. Um, you know, like I have one for the Mac power users and I don't have a separate list for each episode, you know, right. I don't have a separate project for each episode, but I have a like guests that I may want to talk to and, you know, admin stuff we need to do. All that goes into the Mac power users um, project, which is a single action list in OmniFocus. And, uh, but I do often also go ahead because the old, you know, instincts never quite leave. I will spin up a project for something special once in a while. Like each field guide has its own project. Sometimes when I do contract work, those will get a project. The other thing that's weird for me is because I, I, I have some people working with me, which is really helpful, but stuff I put in OmniFocus is useless to them. Mm-hmm. So another thing that I've done is like the lab stuff. Um, I have people helping me sometimes with the edits, sometimes with the publishing workflow. So putting that in OmniFocus doesn't make sense. So what I do there is I, um, I will create a, a shared craft document that has a list of tasks to be done related mm-hmm. to that content. But at the same time, it's funny you asked this because I literally just recorded a video about it over the weekend for the lab members. But uh, at the same time, I'll add a couple tasks to OmniFocus uh, in the labs project, kind of the generic labs project, like um, this video I just recorded. Um, when I set that project up, it added two tasks to the labs. One is to make sure to record it, and number two is to make sure it gets published, which is really more of a conclusion than an action. But it's just a way to to put it in front of my eyeballs in OmniFocus. But the actual task management is done in craft. And the advantage of that for me is that the team members have access to all those documents and craft has a collaboration system where I can just highlight a task, like edit the video. And then I can highlight it and say at JF, Hey, can you take a minute and edit this video or at Liana, can you do this? And, um, and they see it and then we can talk about it on that document. And, uh, so OmniFocus is no longer kind of the source of truth as much as the craft document. Hmm. I was kind of like, you asked me what time it was I built a watch, but the, um, <laughs> I think that really kind of explains it. I mean, I, I, so uh, OmniFocus has become uh, more constrained for me since mm-hmm. I stopped practicing law and I'm not doing as much of that 
single little project for every little thing anymore because I don't need to. And, you know, the rule with the task system is always, you know, make it as complex as you need, but no more complex. Um, which kind of getting back to reminders after we record the show, I gave reminders like a serious attempt. I really tried to, to stop using OmniFocus and I just wanted to see, cause I like, I really like the way you can capture tasks with reminders and CarPlay. It's more efficient with reminders than you can with uh, OmniFocus. And I just like the idea of the simplicity of it, but ultimately it just wasn't cutting it for me. Mm-hmm. The deferred dates was a problem. The review stuff was a problem and just like everything just took longer and was less efficient. And my OmniFocus system is so, so awesome and so clean. And like the way OmniFocus does repeating tasks is so much of my stuff is repeating tasks and the way OmniFocus, like the automation stuff. Well, I'm going back to what we talked about in the episode, but I really tried to ditch OmniFocus and uh, I just couldn't quit. Yeah. I couldn't quit it. Yeah. No, I, I get it. And um, I, I, too, have left reminders behind. Uh, oh, you did? I didn't know that. I, I did for two reasons. One, the Mac app is just clunky. Like, I really gave it my all. And I do most of my tasks, at least a lot of the management on my Mac. And a lot of clicks, a lot of panels. And they they don't even line up with what's on iOS, something I've written about over on 512 before. Like some of the features in the iOS app aren't the Mac app, and I find that frustrating. Uh, but re- really did it. So in this conversation is also my wife, Mary. And for years, we just have had a shared grocery list and reminders. Uh, you know, I know there's dedicated apps for that. That's overkill for our needs. We just have a yeah. reminders list, and we can just pop in there like, hey, get milk or whatever. And if we you know, go to the grocery store, just check, 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 and check yeah. them off. And so... When I moved to Reminders and it was going well at first, uh, she was using Todoist, but we had a, a shared grocery list and Reminders. Like, hey, Reminders has come a long way. Uh, you know, I think I think it would work for your ne- her your needs. Uh, she's the type of user, basically everything's just in the inbox and it gets a due date and that's it. She doesn't have projects or lists or anything hardly at all. And uh, so I moved her stuff over and uh, it was working pretty well. We even set up like a shared task list between the two of us, which we've never done in our like 16 years of marriage. I've never had a shared to-do list, but that's actually also been very helpful. Like uh, there was one today of like, go by the bank because we had to deal with an issue and either one of us could have done it. And I had some time today, so I did it and I checked it off and, you know, checked off on her phone too. But she came to me, it was like reminders, like, I don't know, I actually don't know what her, what the deal was with it for her. But she's like, I want to go back to Todoist. And I was kind of, also feeling that and I didn't want to be because of the shared family list. Like I was like, well, I want that to be like in your regular task list too. And so I was already thinking about going back to do us and she was going back. And so we just moved everything back into to do us and we have our two shared lists and, uh, you know, to do is not the prettiest app in the world, but what really keeps me there apparently is the natural language processing and how fast it is to create and manage tasks with the keyboard. And if there's a a complaint that I could lodge at a lot of Apple's productivity apps is that they're very mouse heavy on Mac OS, that there's a lot of panels and check boxes and little fields to type in. And that's fine for a lot of stuff, but it 
it was grating for me on uh, in reminders. And so the Hackett family is back into Doist. And uh, I've realized now that me ever leaving it again, you know, now is more complicated because because Mary's there too. You got to bring Mary too. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, we're just the opposite in terms of the um, the the shared list. We are all in with reminders. I was just looking. We have a shared list for gifts to buy, television shows to watch, groceries, Target, uh, the local shopping mall, Disneyland, Lowe's, and Home Depot, Apple Store, with Costco. We've got all these shared lists and. Anytime you go to one of those places, you just open the list and sometimes your significant other puts something on it and you buy it for her and then you bring it home to her and she likes you because you did something nice for her. So it, <laughs> it works great for us. We, um, we actually, that part for us has been rock solid and mm-hmm. in, in that regard, I'm still in reminders. Yeah. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. Go to onepassword.com slash MPU for 20% off your individual or family plan. The internet's a rough place, and there's a lot of ways to get in trouble when you're on it. That's why you need a company like 1Password watching your back. With 1Password, you can protect it all with the password manager that does more. It feels like every time you sign up for a new website, you're getting a bunch of roadblocks thrown up in front of you with new passwords required, two-factor authentication codes, and all that stuff. Well, 1Password handles that for you. It takes the speed blocks out of the way of using the internet, while at the same time keeping you secure. And they've got versions for Windows, Mac OS, Linux, iOS, Android, and even your web browser. 1Password works everywhere. One of my favorite features of 1Password is that I can securely share items with anyone, even if they don't use 1Password. Now, I know folks are worried about encryption and privacy, Well, your websites and logins are never sent to 1Password or anyone else through 1Password. 1Password uses algorithms that experts have examined and verified to keep your information secure. Your data is protected by a 128-bit security key and account password, dual-layer encryption unique to 1Password. These guys are obsessive with security, and you want them being obsessive with security on your behalf. You can get individual plans or family plans. We have a family plan in the Sparks household. We've had it for years. I pay for the renewal every year gladly because it's just so useful to all of us. So share the security love with up to five people in your family. Head over to onepassword.com slash MPU. You can get that 20% discount today. Sign up and start protecting your family right now. And thank you, 1Password, for all of your support of the Mac Power users. All right, we had uh, some questions about the... Uh, Opal C1 webcam. This was like a product that was early access. I, d- I don't know how open their access is now, but it is um, it's a 4K webcam. It uses a Sony sensor, I believe, and it's got a, a Mac app that kind of sits between it and all your other software. And in that app, you can manage uh, focus and light and all sorts of wild stuff. And both you and I have have checked this out. And uh, Brayden wrote in wanting to know how it was going. So how is it going? I'm still using mine. I, I mean, I, I hope so. It was quite expensive. It was yeah. like a $300 camera. Mm-hmm. But uh, I am really happy with the picture quality that this thing puts out. And the software is great in the sense that, like, if I want to put a little blurry background, if I want to put a watermark, all that stuff works. I have a monitor that doesn't have a built-in camera. So, of course, right. I need one. Um, but it is far superior to anything that I've ever used before as a webcam. 
So that's the good news. And, and I use it daily. I mean, with my new job, I shoot a lot of video. If you're in the labs, you probably are tired of my face. <laughs> um, but the, uh, there are downsides to it. Number one is it gets really hot. I mean, uh, kind of shockingly hot, which makes me wonder about the lifespan of it. They just did a software update last week where uh, they said that they have made changes so it doesn't get as hot. And I just reached up and felt it while you were talking. And it's warm, but not nearly as hot as it used to be. So I hope that is a good sign. Um, The other thing is sometimes the damn thing doesn't work. And I don't know why. I turn on the screen flow often and it'll show up and I'll, I'll put it on and it just, it just doesn't work. I mm-hmm. do the same thing. I shoot a lot of loom videos and sometimes it just doesn't work. And I cannot, I've tried quitting the software. I've tried rebooting the Mac and that happens to me probably once a week. So I don't like that. So I guess my answer, uh, Braden is I like it when it works, but the reliability, I probably would not buy it again because of the reliability. I, I, there are other options out there that are, are good you know, high quality webcams now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would look seriously at those. Yeah. And you can find them now in like the last three years when there was basically a run on webcams. I remember I ended up giving my brother one that I had in a drawer because he needed it for work all of a sudden and, you know, yeah. had a just a, the, the crummy one in his laptop. Um, my usage totally mirrors yours. Uh, I'm using one even with my, uh, studio display and it has a built-in webcam but it's potato and the opal looks really good uh i definitely share the concerns about the overheating and that is worrisome hopefully they get that under control uh and overheating since i've never had it like shut off in use but it is warm when you touch it and that makes me a little nervous thinking about all this poor electronics in there the other part of this question was about continuity camera, which is the new feature in iOS and macOS lets you use your iPhone as a webcam. And I, I mean, I played with it, but I have not, uh, I've not used it because I think because I have the Opal and I don't want my phone tied up as my webcam to be perfectly honest. And so it is cool, but not something that I need. And in fact, I've in the iOS settings buried somewhere is a a switch to turn off continuity camera. I actually turned it off because even with the Opal plugged in, my Mac would be like, oh, hey, your phone's here. Let's use that. It's like, no, no, like it's it's fine. And it it actually got a lot worse because I've uh, I have a new little charging dock on my desk and the phone sits upright because so I can see the always on display. And it just always thinks I want to use that camera. And so I ended up turning it off just because it kept bugging me. But, um, you know, if you have an, uh, different needs or you want to use your iPhone, like continuity camera is awesome. And the iPhone camera makes a great webcam. And, you know, there's several different mounts out there to like put it on whatever computer you have. But I invested in the Opal. And so that's what I'm sticking with. Yeah, I mean, we both spent $300 yeah. on a webcam, so we're going to use it. But honestly, I bought this webcam about two months before they announced Continuity Camera. I'm not sure I would have bought it if if uh, they had a, a Continuity Camera yeah. had existed. Uh, a few times when this thing just stopped working for me and I couldn't get it working, and it, it just seems random. Like, 
it won't work on Monday, but Tuesday without me changing anything, it will work. Yeah. Um, uh, so, but a few times for lab videos, I just put the continuity camera on a little holder and, um, and I didn't tell anybody just out of curiosity. Nobody said, Oh, your video looks worse or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, um, if I were in the situation today, I don't know. I think if I were doing this today, I would probably buy a good webcam because I, I like continuity camera, but like you, it's just a hassle to put it up there. And if you shoot as much video as I do, having a dedicated camera makes a lot of sense. Also in a lot of my labs videos, I end up sharing my screen on my iPhone Mm -hmm. as I'm explaining how to do something. So that's another problem. But, but I think for probably 90% of the people listening, I would say just use continuity camera. But if you really need your iPhone separate or you have a special need, look at some of the Opal competitors. There are some very good ones and, uh, the fact is, in 2023, you can, for about 300 bucks, is about what they all cost, get a very good webcam that'll make you look really good. Yep. And get some lighting. That's the biggest thing. I have a Nagato key, key light behind yeah. my display and turn it on, and I don't, you know, look nice and, and alive. Chip wrote in to talk about. Uh, background apps and services in macOS. Uh, we we mentioned this in our docs and startup items episode and how yeah. the system, especially in Ventura, yeah. is a bit confusing and messy. And both of us, I think, had like a basically a simultaneous just lapse in memory. So Chip writes, uh, I just updated to macOS 13.2.1 and also noticed a notification for Corsair memory being run in the background. And it's something that we mentioned and we weren't sure what it was. Well, Corsair bought Elgato back in 2018. And so that background service is the Stream Deck software. And the control the uh, control center, if you have a bunch of lights, like they all they put all that under the Corsair brand. I had totally forgotten that Corsair bought them. Um, good job, Corsair. I think they've killed it with Elgato. I think they've done a great job. But yeah. uh, that is why, if you're running any Elgato software, that you may see Corsair memory in your startup items in Ventura. Yeah, I, you know, we get these emails sometimes where I just immediately feel stupid. And, <laughs> um, you know, Chip gave me one of those. So thanks, Chip. But, but yeah. Yeah, and I am so in the bag with Elgato right now. I have a whole, you know control panel here of Elgato stuff in front of me. Yeah. It struck me the other day because I saw a picture of your desk somewhere that you were just like rebuilding the uh the inside of the Millennium Falcon. You know, like they had all like oh, there was like that panel yeah. of Chewie's head that he had to hit to make it work. Like you're just yeah. closing yourself in buttons and oh, wires. Man. That Steven, thank you so much for that validation. I needed that. <laughs> I did, was it validation? Oh yeah, it was. <laughs> In my head, it was validation. I, I love my stream decks. I use them all the time. They're so awesome. I just sent you another picture of my my desk setup from today. You have like six of them. It's, they just keep so expanding. So the iPad turned on. Yeah, exactly. Like they're, they're like tribbles. So many buttons. Oh, you got a mechanical uh, keyboard there. You got all sorts of fun stuff. Yeah, I know. I'm trying out Mike Hurley's new product. It's pretty cool. The Sidekick. Yeah. Yeah. That that it. Uh, I've got one too. He sent me a. Uh, Almost production one, I think, or an early production one. It's it's awesome. Put a link down in the show notes. It's this cool notebook that sits near your keyboard, and you can take notes as you uh, as you work. 
I bought two of them thinking, Hey, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give this a try. And my wife saw it and it's like, Oh, I'm taking one of those to work. Thank you. Like, okay. <laughs> okay. So Apple notes versus day one. This was a really fascinating email from Richard. Uh, Richard wrote, uh, you both have mentioned Apple notes as your knowledge management tool, or I guess in David's case, one of them, depending on what's going yeah. on. Um, and gave examples as notes from doctor's appointments, insurance info, et cetera. Uh, but I've also heard David speak a lot about day one and Steven with his uh, fake Twitter <laughs> day one journal. How do you draw the line and distinction between what goes where? Yeah, that was a good question. There's a lot of people out there doing journaling and apps like Notes or Obsidian or Craft. A, a lot of these new personal knowledge management apps have, you know, wisened up to that and they build in automations and systems that allow you to do a daily journal very easily in them. And you can even link to it. So like you could link to the journal with cross-linking and I'm kind of going beyond Richard's question here. So, but the question is why did you use day one when you have these other tools that can do this stuff already and, you know, add the complexity of another app Mm -hmm. and, I, I thought about this because, you know, I every year my subscription comes up for day one and I pay it again. But I think, you know, is it time to get out? I, I think for me, um, the I, the idea that it's a dedicated journaling app seems to shift a few switches in my brain when I open it. And I like the um, I like that switch. You know, I like to be able to say, okay, now I'm just journaling and I'm going through the process of recording what's going through my head and it, to me, it's almost like a form of meditation or self-analysis of like what, you know, what's going on, you know, why am I not getting something done or what do I think about this thing that just happened? And it just, it's a different space. In fact, I usually journal somewhere other than at my desk where I do all my computer work because for the same reason for that shift. So that's part of the reason. Another part of the reason is day one has some features that aren't available in those things. Like Day one works with if this, then that. So every blog post I write gets automatically added to a journal. And I like kind of recording that stuff privately. Day one lets me print those books out. And I've done that a couple of times with these hardcover books. So in essence, I make my hard hardbound journal at the end of the year. And the other apps don't really do that. Um, day one's capture tools are very, uh, they're very flexible. You know, so like if I, if I journal on a piece of paper with a pen, I can capture that into day one with a quick picture. And I like that everything is, is kind of combined there and very easily accessible. I like day one's, um, review. I really enjoy going back and looking at things I wrote five years ago on this day, just to kind of see where, where I was. And also when I do the quarterly, in particular quarterly review, I like going back and reading the entries over the last three months to kind of see what I, what journey I've been on. Mm -hmm. And then the last piece of it is just momentum. You know, I've spent this much time and money in this app. It's it's hard to leave it at this point. I mean, I've got 10 year old entries in it. So, so that makes it hard too. So part of it is just kind of um, lock in from using it a long time. If I was starting from scratch, would I use day one? And to be honest, I think I probably would. Um, But but I totally understand not doing that there because there are some really great options now. I would say if you're going to do that, though, I would look for an end-to-end encrypted solution. I would not do it in Apple Notes or um, Craft. 
um, Obsidian is end-to-end encrypted. Um, DevonThink is end-to-end encrypted. I, you know, because it's your private thoughts, you really need to feel safe writing there. And day one also has end-to-end encryption. Yeah, the only thing I would I would layer on top of that is, uh, and it's really echoing what you said, is that I want some context switching. So something like Craft or Obsidian, you could have your notes and you could use the daily note feature as a type of journal. And I, I know people who do and have everything together. And I just want some separation for what is in what is in day one. And I really do like the features. Like I just opened it and I've got six things on this day so I can look back. And one of them is from, you know, 2022, but one is from 2016. You know, something I'd totally forgotten about on February 28th, 2016. And I like that uh, those features that are journal specific, they've been able to add. And so uh, for me, that's that's enough to keep keep going with it. But if you're starting from scratch, you know, that's maybe a little bit different than if you've got a decade of history like you and I do. Yeah, and I've really gone hard at the separate journal stuff. You know, I, I have separate journals for gardening and woodworking. And yeah, I talked earlier about my roles approach to life. I have a journal for each role. Mm-hmm. So I have really segmented it in a way that makes it easy for me to go in and do what I need to do. And I guess the other two features I would add is t- templates, but although you can create templates with text expander anywhere. And then um, uh, I really love the photos feature of day one in that I can open day one and I do this once a week and I just go through the pictures and the photos app from the last week and I drag them into day one and day one automatically sets the date and time of the photo based on when the photo was taken. So it puts my journal entries that include photos on the timeline where they belong rather than when I imported them, which are kind of um, roll your own journaling solutions is not going to be that easy. Yeah. But, it, you know, it costs money and it adds complexity because it's another app. So uh, it, there, there's really not a wrong answer here. If you want to to go and do it separately, go for it. We talked about your stream decks plural a second ago uh but you put something in here about uh uh, about how dirty they can get how dirty yeah i i got an email from dave uh talking about stream decks i just realized that i guess stream deck has now become part of my shtick it's like every time they come up we have a joke about it but i do have a lot of buttons Uh, but dave had one and he'd been using a long time and he took an alcohol uh, swab and cleaned off the keys, and he said they came back black, and it was really gross. <laughs> and he says, I bet there's a lot of Mac Power users out there that have gross Stream Deck buttons and don't realize it, so you may want to do that. Uh, I would say, first of all, unplug it before you do that. You know, you don't want uh, electrons running through it while you're running anything wet on it, even alcohol. And I did this with mine, and they came off clean. Uh, you know, I don't know, I don't know, Dave, what you're doing over there, but the uh, my buttons were clean. Yeah, mine, mine were pretty good. I did mine too. Uh, where I do notice this though is on the the laptop keyboard because it's black. Um, ever since they've had black keys, I feel like that that shows finger grease. But of course, then the white ones show stains. So like, there's no perfect solution. Yeah. But yeah, every once in a while, I'll I'll go through and sort of clean everything in my setup. You know, dust the desk. Dust the top of the display, you know, that sort of stuff. Because, uh, you know, life is dusty. Yeah. I the, the keyboard clean I do frequently. And the trick there is you unplug it or turn it off if it's an Apple keyboard. 
first thing I do is I turn it upside down and shake it vigorously. And then I look at my desk mat and I am completely grossed out about what just fell out of my keyboard. <laughs> but then I, um, with it unplugged or turned off, I'll take an alcohol wipe on it. And I do that like once a month. Mm-hmm. What, what about your, how do you clean your laptop screen? Uh, I use a product called, I think it's called iClear, like quietly yeah. Googling in the background. We sold it at the Apple store. <laughs> and so I just have just always kind of kept it around. Maybe it's iClean. Let me see. I'm trying to find it. Okay. It is iClear, I-K-L-E-A-R. I've always had luck with it, so I just keep buying it. But yeah, there are uh, several different products out there that you can uh, that you can use. I was at Macworld one year and I bought a massive bottle of that. It was so long ago. It was before travel restrictions and you could actually, you know, put a big bottle of liquid in your luggage. <laughs> yeah. And I, um, I still have not used it all, <laughs> but I, uh, I don't clean my screen that often. You know, like maybe once every month or two, when I notice it, I'll clean it. But mm-hmm. if I don't notice it, I don't clean it. I have never cleaned this, uh, pro display XDR. I'm, I'm terrified about that. Like, you know, if I'm sitting in front of it and I feel like I have to sneeze, I like run into the next room. I, I, I'm really scared about what I'd have to do to clean the screen, and it's still pretty clean. But at some point, I've got to figure that out. Yeah. Well, at least you don't have the nano texture. That's the one that's really yeah, scary. Yeah, it's it's the glass one, so I, it's probably not a big deal. Yeah, it's fine. I didn't mind a bunch. It's totally fine. This episode of MPU is made possible by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. With Squarespace, you can stand out with a beautiful website, engage with your audience, and sell anything, products, services, and even content. One reason that I love building on Squarespace is because it's not just that the site looks good, but is that it works well as well. Everything Squarespace does has an unbelievable amount of polish, and you can build things as you go. So maybe you're just starting out. You just need a simple website with some information, uh, maybe some product pages, some photography. But then down the road, you want to add a blog or maybe a podcast or something else. Squarespace makes it really easy to do that. You're not rebuilding your entire site. You're not having to figure out what to do with the navigation, again, because it works great. And it looks awesome. Squarespace has email campaigns, so you can encourage visitors to sign up as email subscribers, and you can start them on the journey to becoming loyal customers. And all those great design tools that make your website look great, they make those emails look great as well. And those emails tie in with Squarespace's insights and SEO tools. They're easy to use. They're easy to understand. You can see where visits and sales are coming from. You can analyze all of it in Squarespace. So head on over to squarespace.com MPU for a free trial. There's no credit card required. And when you're ready to launch, use the code MPU to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain name. Once again, that's squarespace.com MPU. And when you decide to sign up, use the offer code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for the show. Okay, so Hans wrote in about using two Macs. Hey, guys, I really love your show. Looking forward to hearing a new episode every week. Well, thanks, Hans. Thank like you. That. His question, I'm currently thinking about replacing my Intel MacBook Pro with an M2 MacBook Air and an M2 Mac Pro Mini. 
Um, I'm sorry, an M2 Pro Mac Mini. That, there you go. That came out wrong, and that was a non-existent product. So, <laughs> you so fitted the, a computer. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, well, maybe we'll see. Um, the uh, but he uh, so you know he wants to set up a Mac Mini plus a MacBook Air, kind of like the two Mac lifestyle we're leading right now. Uh, he says I've never used two Macs at the same time, so I was wondering if you guys could talk about what apps you use to manage multiple Macs and keep everything more or less in sync and easily reachable. Uh, and uh, Hans, I would say if this is what you're thinking about doing, I am going to enable you right now publicly. Just go do it. It is so easy to run two Mac these days. The only people that I think are going to have trouble with that are people that are unable to use cloud services, which is almost nobody. Like if you work for like the national security agency or something, and you're not allowed to store stuff on the cloud, um, that is a lot harder. I mean, I think if you go back to like the first 10 episodes of Mac power users, we did a show about syncing data between two Macs and that was before the cloud. And you had to like use things like Chronosync and, um, you know, hook your Macs together, but anymore, you know, for most people, and that's like the vast majority of people, there is some secure cloud service you can use that you're going to be able to, to put your data in the cloud. And that way your, your Macs are always just in sync. Yeah. And I, I just don't have any issue with this. I don't even give any thought to it anymore. You know, like Devin think I've got these massive databases. They sync just fine. I've got lots and lots of data. Obsidian, I have an, you know, an obscene number of files in Obsidian. And, but they're text files and they sync, no problem. When I open my, my little laptop, which I use a lot less than my big one, it's always ready to go. And I don't even think about it at this point. I think a lot of it is the cloud sync solution. We had a, a similar question from Alan that I, I just got today, actually, as we're recording this. And uh, they have like a subset of data. They only want a one computer. Um, you know, you can still have local files, right? You could have, say that you use Dropbox or iCloud Drive. You could still have stuff that's not in there. Uh, or you could tell Dropbox or iCloud Drive to keep things in the cloud or download it. Those features and Dropbox is in the middle of this transition right now. I'm running the new version now. And like some of the old features aren't there anymore, but you can totally do this. I think where it's a little more annoying is things like settings, like, oh, I want these sort of settings in Apple Mail, or I want this font size over here. And that you just kind of got to manage, but it's not that big of a deal. It's not that tough. And uh, the the core issue, I think, has always been like keeping data in sync across multiple machines. Like you said, iCloud takes care of a lot of it, right? We just did that big iCloud show last week. And, and listening through that show, like you will discover just how many things on your computer iCloud will actually sync and, and keep uh, the same everywhere. And that makes life way easier. Gone are the days, like you said, where you're shuffling things back and forth manually. Yeah, I am. So a couple of things you had said there uh, on settings, I actually prefer to put separate settings on the devices because the M2 MacBook Air, which is what, what Hans is looking at and I have, it's a small screen. I mean, compared to what I've got on my desktop. So I want the apps that perform on that to do things differently. Mm-hmm. I have the setups differently. So I actually prefer those. A lot of apps, though, do sync settings, like Alfred is a great one. Yes. If you use Alfred as your keyboard launcher, all your workflows and everything are just going to sync over. And that's true for a lot of good apps um, like that. Um, 
you know, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, like Hazel, I store uh, rules in the cloud and it has a form of sync. Keyboard Maestro does a sync. So I, I think you'll find a lot of that's okay. Now, uh, Alan's question about keeping segregated data off the cloud, it's, it's really easy. You just don't save it to the cloud. When I was practicing law, I had some client data that I would not put on any cloud service because it was client data. So I just understood that when I was on the second computer, I would not be able to access that data. I could only do that work on one computer, mm-hmm. and that's fine. The only thing I would say to Alan is make sure you account for that in your backup scheme. You know, First of all, mm. the cloud is not a backup. Don't treat it as one. But just make sure that if you've got data, some in the cloud and some local, that when you set up your backup system, that you make sure you account for that. You don't want to only back up half your data. Right. Yeah, something like like Time Machine or Carbon Copy Clone or whatever. Make sure it's getting the stuff that's in Dropbox or an iCloud Drive as well as uh, as what's local. And th- there's sort of an inside-out version of that, too, where like make sure stuff's not just on the cloud. So let, let's yeah. take uh, iCloud Photo Library, which is amazing. Uh, both of us are all in on it. Uh, you have a setting there to keep all your files locally or just have thumbnails on your device. and if you're going to be a multi Mac person or even a single Mac person, like having all of those files locally somewhere means that your time machine and other backup solutions will grab those files. Because again, cloud is sync, cloud is not backup. And the, the, the distinction in my mind be, between those things is that backups are a one way trip for your data, unless you have a, a you know, need to recover. But if you have something on your Mac and it goes to the time machine, a one-way trip where when you have something syncing and remember too we're not just talking about Macs anymore right if you're using iCloud your iPhone and your iPad and your other stuff also is syncing all this data right Uh, and if something happens on one of those other machines it affects what happens on the computer you're sitting in front of as well and so uh, that data is going back and forth all the time and that does another thing to consider there um, I, I really think though, I mean, you and I have both done it for a long time and it's, it's sort of, I think we're in like the golden age of it. It really used to be difficult. I mean, you alluded to that early MPU, even years after that, it was really difficult to do this. And, and now it's really just pretty straightforward. I mean, we didn't even get into the, in the iCloud outline. We didn't even get into things like content right so uh not your content necessarily but like books right well kindle or ibooks will manage all that syncing for you right things that you purchase on itunes or or your apple music or uh, your streaming services right like a lot of the stuff we used to have to sync or we used to have to keep up with on what computer it was on or what device it was on has kind of been taken away because of streaming services because the apps that just sync in the background and so the solutions have gotten better. And also there's just less stuff for us to have to deal with because a lot of it is not like big local media files that you're slinging around. Yeah. And the other thing, like, I, I guess what I would add to that is I really think that the bigger risk is probably not backing up cloud data, not local data. You know, really Hans is going to have more of a challenge than Alan um, because it's really easy to start putting stuff on the cloud and not realize that you don't have local copies of it. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Especially I think with something like photos that like 
it's kind of hard to tell, right? Like, is this actually local or is it just pulling stuff down on demand? Like sometimes even experienced Mac OS users, it's really hard to draw the line between, <laughs> between cloud and local. And so spending some time making sure that you understand where things are, what the flow is, can really save you heartache down the road. Um, I think the other thing, just because we've we've talked about backups, you know, we've done we've covered backups on the show a bunch over the years. Uh, I think our general advice is uh, for the Mac to have Time Machine and then something to get your data offsite, whether that's uh, a hard drive that you copy with Super Duper or Carbon Copy Cloner or Chronosync or something. Uh, and or a cloud service like Backblaze or or others out there, that two that two layer backup is something that we really believe in, and both of us use. Like that's our personal backup strategies as well. The cloud does complicate that, but you can spend a little time and work it out. And you know, we talked about Freeform earlier. Probably another good use for Freeform or an app like that is to like visualize your data strategy. Um, I've got some old blog posts on five twelve. I'm sure that that basically do that, like point out where things live and and how I got data around. And that can be a useful tool just while you're you're planning this out yourself. Now, making the counter argument to Hans, there's really nothing easier than having all your stuff on one computer. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, you never have to think about any of this stuff if you just have one computer. But there are people like me and Steven and now Hans who have two devices and I guess the reason I, I, I'm not sure where the tipping point is. If I were to tell somebody, "Oh, you should, you should, you should have two. and I think it's really just kind of convenience and setups. Because I do so much recording on this computer, there's a lot of stuff plugged into it, and there's just a lot of software running on it to make recording better and easier, and also the post production stuff. So unplugging it and taking it out to use, like at a coffee shop is is quite inconvenient for me. It's inconvenient enough for me that I was willing to spend the money to buy a MacBook Air for that purpose. And I don't regret it, but you know, you just got to figure that out, that formula out for yourself. Yeah. Um I need to tell you something. Uh-oh. What are you going to tell me? I actually am not living the 2 Mac lifestyle anymore. Oh, okay. Okay, so last time we talked, <laughs> You had a Mac Studio. I did. And you had a MacBook Air. Yeah. Can I make a prediction? Yes. You have a souped-up MacBook Pro on your desk. I do. I do. Yeah. I, I wasn't <laughs> going to bring this up, and then I saw this topic. I was like, well, I should tell the truth. <laughs> oh, man. Steven. So so the, you got rid of the Pro Display, and you got rid of the Mac Studio. So my setup is a single Studio Display and a 14-loaded well, not actually, actually not loaded. It's kind of a mid spec. Uh, it's the M2 Pro. I didn't even do the Max. Uh, yeah. The M2 Pro Mac 14 inch on a stand next to it, and uh, the reason is uh, kind of a couple fold. I, like I said, I've led the two Mac lifestyle basically since I left my job. Um, well, that's not true. Since I built this studio, the first. Nine months, a year or whatever, I was independent. I had an office in the house, actually in our old house, and I subleased office space with slash from my brother. And I would go back and forth with a MacBook Pro, I think a 15-inch MacBook Pro, you know, they're like the, the really good one, 
you know, this yeah. was like 2015, right before they got weird. And when I built the studio, I bought a 5K iMac and then started doing the thing I've done ever since of like a desktop for all the reasons you enumerated and a notebook that was sort of a subset of my setup. Okay. And I loved the Mac Studio. Like, it is a great machine. It's noisy, but you put it on your desk, you can't hear it. But in looking at some things that I am doing this year, uh, one of which we're going to talk about in a minute in the stuff we're playing with section of the show, uh, I realized that I'm actually going to have probably quite a bit of working time outside of the office in a way that I really haven't had definitely since COVID, but maybe even longer than that. And kind of, so there was like that aspect of it. And then there was also like a, a sort of a thing I had in the back of my mind for a while of, I think it there's something valuable about running a setup that is like pretty mainstream in terms of like what, listeners and readers and like pe- people in the community uh use right and, and look i mean i had owned a mac pro for several years right and like i loved it but not a mainstream purchase and so kind of like thinking about these things and it's like well all that stuff and all that stuff we said hans and alan is all true and i still all believe it i could go back to two Macs easily but just kind of thinking about these things like you know what i want to give this give this a shot and see if i could go back to just a pretty nice laptop. And one of the things that makes it easier than ever is actually Thunderbolt. And because I've been on the two device train for so long, I've never really gotten in deep with things like Thunderbolt docks. And so I picked up a CalDigit TS4, the current one. And I was able, between the ports on it and the ports on the back of the display, I have a single cable running to my Mac just a Thunderbolt cable and it charges it and it runs everything. And so when I, you know, like, so like yesterday I worked out of the office for a little while, unplug or ejected my time machine drive, unplugged a single cable and was good to go. And it was pretty sweet. And it's been pretty sweet to have all of my stuff with me wherever. And so it's something I'm, I'm committed to at least for probably at least for a year. Cause I bought this MacBook pro and sold the, the studio and I, probably going to sell the the M2 Air. Um, although I may have a family member who needs one, so I may talk to them about them using it. But I'm going to give this a run. And so far, so good. It is different. It is a little bit weird. Like this morning, I came out here, and I sat down. I was like, oh, where's my... Oh, crap. I left my computer in the house. Like, I had to go get it off the coffee table where I was using it last night. And so there have been a couple of times I'm like, because I'm used to just a desktop being out here all the time. It's like, oh, where's yeah. my computer? Oh, it's in my backpack or whatever. But yeah, giving it a run. But currently, that's that's the setup. One MacBook Pro and one studio display. You know, I have heard in the back of your voice for months your frustration with the noise coming out of your MacBook studio, your Mac studio. Yeah. And I, it's this is not a surprise to me. <laughs> But the uh, yeah, good for you. I I think that's a a great setup. You know, MacBook Pro can do anything, and you've got the cable situation down to where like it's not that inconvenient to take mm-hmm. it out and put it in. There's a lot to unpack here. I, I'm processing it because the gang, this is not like a stunt. Stephen literally just told this to me the same time he told it to you. So I need to think about this. But uh, I really, in my case, 
it was kind of an evolution to where I got to two Macs, but the M2 MacBook Air is so convenient to carry around and so thin and light. I, I would find it difficult. I find that the trade-off of having to manage two systems is easier than, I mean, it just makes it so much easier for me to take a Mac with me yeah. portably. But, but I also have a 16-inch MacBook Pro. So me taking my, my, my lunch tray out is a bigger deal than you taking a 14-inch MacBook Pro. Yeah. So yeah, we'll uh, we'll see how that goes. I did want to spring it on you, and I'm glad I found the right time. Yeah, you did, but you also sprung on me that you only have one display. You you had two studio displays the last time we talked. So what what happened to the other one? Yeah, so my my aforementioned brother, who's actually been on the show, he runs a nonprofit. Uh, sure, he built a little home office, and he has been using a 14 inch MacBook Pro with a LG Ultrafine. Yeah. Which is, I mean, it's a fine display. Like, it's totally cool. He bought that display like two months before the studio display was announced. So it was like out of the return and he was kind of bummed about it. And I was bummed for him. And uh, and so I sold the other my other studio display to him. And he's, he in turn sold the, the LG Ultrafine 5K. And so he yeah. and I actually have identical setups, except his MacBook Pro is space gray and mine is silver. But other than that, we were using the exact same setup, which is kind of funny. Well, I continue to be very happy with my setup, and uh, it's an M1 MacBook Pro, and I hope to run this thing for several more years. So I'm I'm really happy with mine. But that that's cool, Stephen. I, I'm very curious to see how this goes down. Uh, I have been just for entertainment purposes. I tease you about the, the the Mac Pro when that launches. Yeah, I'm not sure I'll be able to stop myself. I'm going to try and tempt you to buy one. Oh, I know. So I'm just letting you know up ahead. Yeah, that 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 may happen. But the, uh, it actually makes a lot of sense for you. And even the pro configuration for the kind of stuff we do is just fine. You know, I, uh, yeah, the M2 is really impressive. In fact, the single core is also faster. So it actually exports like some of my stuff is faster than my studio was. Like there's some things in logic that are single core and it's just quicker at. And I did think about the max, but the diff- really the difference between the, the pro and the max besides battery life is uh, on the GPU side. And while I'm still doing some video stuff, even the MacBook Air was plenty fast enough. So I didn't really, even as like a professional content person, uh, I didn't really feel the need for uh, for the Macs. And I was willing to trade off like maybe a little bit better battery life and and cost, really, because these machines are expensive and you can you can that little website can really, that number can go up pretty quickly. And so yeah. I felt like the M2 Pro. Now I did max the RAM, so it's got 32 gigabytes of RAM, um, which is a lot less than I used to have. But again, it's been totally fine. I mean, we beat this drum a lot. Apple Silicon is so dang good. I felt like this MacBook Pro is plenty, even though it's not the top. And that's that's not how it used to be, right? Like I had an iMac Pro and then a Mac Pro for a reason, because the 5k iMac at the end of the day wasn't enough for me. And I feel like we're in this space now where, yeah, I can run my entire operation off a laptop and it'd be totally fine. And by the way, totally silent. Like that was not a thing even that long ago. Yeah. I mean, if I had to uh, get a new one today, would I get like just a single 14 inch and, and go with it? I think I probably wouldn't. I, I actually like what I'm doing right now. And like, I also, you know, like the Mac mini is a really great solution. We've heard from a lot of listeners that are buying the new uh, Mac mini pros, which is basically your computer without a screen. Yeah. 
And that's a great solution too. I mean, in some benchmarks, that's faster than a Mac Studio because M1 versus M2. But I think that I just like the ability that I can bring the Pro machine with me when I need to, mm-hmm. but I don't need to. And often, but when yep. I need it, it's there for me. And I'll pay a little extra for that. So I've got that flexibility. Um, last question, what, how much storage did you put in it? Eight terabytes. Yeah, you went all the way. Yeah. yeah. And that, that's the—that's really the reason I didn't do the max. Like, it's like, oh, that's yeah. such an expensive deal. That is a really expensive. But so, I, I mean, I get this from the blog, the labs, and the podcast at least two or three times a week. People telling me they want to buy a new Mac because there's not enough storage on the old one. Yeah. Is it, it rarely do I hear people say, "Oh, this thing isn't fast enough. I need to get a, a new one." The the complaint I always get from people or a reason for buying a new one is they run out of storage. So uh, I know it costs a lot to get more storage, but often that will allow you to keep the computer longer. Yeah, and my base install with all my stuff is right at like four and a half or five terabytes, and so squeezing it down where I can live within four comfortably is like a terabyte of stuff I got to get rid of. I don't even know where it would come from. And so having everything on one computer, like that was, that was one of the trade-offs. You know, I still have my external SSDs for backup, but everything is local. Everything can be downloaded. You know, we talked about iCloud photo library and those sorts of things. And um, yeah, it was really, I mean, that SSD option really hurt. Like it really hurt to check that box, but having everything in one so far has been pretty sweet. And I will definitely keep you updated on that. And uh, what I've told myself is I'm giving this experiment a year and I want to see how this goes and then, you know, reevaluate. But in the, this MacBook Pro has been out a month or so in the month or so I've been doing it because I ordered it when it was announced. I was thinking about it and I had told myself, well, wait until they update the MacBook Pro and then decide if you're going to jump or not. And, um, so far, it's been it's been awesome. You're just full of surprises lately, Stephen. I know you're the one who promised you weren't going to buy a Mac, not me. So, yeah, I I, I feel like I'm going to be good for that. Um, uh, if I if I give a pile of money to Apple this year, it'll be for one of those headsets. But, <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I probably will. But the um, but I I am so happy with my hardware right now. I just I just don't feel any desire, you know. So. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I hate to say this because you know I'm Mac Sparky, but I'm not sure I'm going to feel any different when there's an M3 MacBook Pro. I mean, yeah. <laughs> the machine I have is doing so well, and it's just so solid. It's like I don't want to change anything. You know, it's all working. Oh yeah, yeah. And and normally I'm not one to say, "Well, wait for the new thing." Like I said that I think during the transition or when the transition was rumored, like. Unless you really need a new Mac right now, don't buy a new Intel Mac in 2020. Uh, even though I bought a Mac Pro in the beginning of 2020. That's neither here nor there. But That's why I think I still have hope. I think I can convince you to buy a Mac Pro. Yeah, well, at least we'll have see. a shot. You know, that one was like, I mean, I've said this before, that was like our Mac Pro because we were there, right? Yeah, like we talked to the guy who led the team. It's like yeah, you know, I know. I emotional it. attachment. We, but We played a role. We we Small. invented the Mac Pro is basically yeah. what uh, it's basically because of us yeah yeah we scooped out each of those little aluminum eyeball holes in the front and back by hand I ruined so many ice cream scoopers with that man. <laughs> <laughs> but uh so we'll we'll see uh, we'll see how it goes 
right. Hey, congratulations. I, I hope that works out for you. I think it'll probably be fine. Yeah, I think so too. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Indeed. Go to Indeed.com slash MPU and join more than 3 million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent fast. When it comes to hiring, you need to trust your gut. But what if you could give your gut some help? When you want to find top talent fast, you need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Find top talent fast with Indeed's suite of powerful hiring tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. And if you hate waiting, Indeed's U.S. data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. Instant Match really is incredible. Candidates you invite to apply through Instant Match are three times more likely to apply to your job than candidates who only see it in search, according to U.S. Indeed data. So join more than 3 million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent fast. Indeed knows that when you're doing everything for your company, you can't afford to overspend on hiring. So visit Indeed.com slash MPU to start hiring now. That's I-N-D-E-E-D dot com slash MPU. Indeed.com slash MPU. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing is not available for everyone. Do you need to hire? You need Indeed. And our thanks to Indeed for their support of the Mac Power Users and all of Relay FM. We had uh, an email from Joe uh, who wrote, uh, having heard the recent episode with Sean Blanc, I think both Dave and Steven need to give us their secret origin stories. How did the unassuming corporate lawyer become Max Barkey? That's that's some assumption in there that you were an unassuming corporate lawyer. I've heard some stories about you. Oh boy. What did you hear? <laughs> Any stories you've told, you know, you would come in and then just yeah. like, you know, blast them off the face of the earth with your yeah. arguments. Uh, how there did a go. mild mannered mid Southern Apple genius end up creating one of the preeminent tech podcasting platforms? Inquiring minds want to know. Um, sure. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I mean, we, we've talked about some of this stuff in the past, but, um, uh, why don't you go first? Tell us some of your origin story, Stephen. Yeah, some of it I wrote in a blog post called Sophomore that I will uh, I'll put in the show notes. That is an old blog post now, but I think it holds up pretty nicely. Um, geez, I wrote it in 2011. That's upsetting. Uh, that blog post goes into some of it, but basically everything I love in my profession, I discovered my sophomore year of high school. Uh, and that was through the high school newspaper, writing, editing, but more importantly, using a Mac to get my ideas out into the world. And like that idea is what I've chased in the 20 years since my sophomore year of high school or 22 years, however long it's been. Um, because it was the the first time I'm like, oh, I have this idea. I have something I want to share. And this computer, this, uh, you know, at the time, blue iMac gives me the the tools I need to express that. And so I did high school newspaper. I was actually the only incoming freshman at that time hired by my college newspaper. I didn't know any better. I just like strolled in and like slapped my design portfolio down on the desk. I'm like, hire me. And they're like, who are you? And eventually they did hire me. But uh, in college in particular, the shift sort of happened where I was more interested in the tech side. And I took a really long time to graduate, but the people I started school with 
graduated in the middle of the 08 recession and couldn't find jobs. And a bunch of them went back to back to school because there just wasn't anything else to do. A lot of people felt kind of trapped. And in that period, I saw like, well, journalism probably isn't uh, a very easy career path. Definitely, you know, supporting a family would be difficult. Mary and I got married in college and our first kid came along pretty quickly. And so I sort of, towards the end of my college career, started working in IT, both, you know, originally at the Apple store and then consulting and then ultimately had an IT career for quite a long time. And uh, the podcasting stuff came out of meeting Mike Hurley through my writing at 512 Pixels. He interviewed me about something and we hit it off. And it's really been what it's always been. It's been using these tools to help express something that I want to say into the world, whether it be a podcast or a video or a blog post or, you know, something funny on Mastodon or whatever. And so while in hindsight, or while at the time it felt meandering a little bit, I was like, well, I want to write, but I want to like do photography, but I want to do page design, but none of those things pay the bills. And so I'll just go work on IT and like I consulted for Apple for a long time, like all these things. And in hindsight though, I really see that it was actually a while meandering at times. What I do now is like the perfect marriage of my sort of journalism education and background and my IT career. Kind of putting those things together has given me the tools to build Relay FM and like do the shows I do and the writing I do. And so it all just kind of fell into place for me. And I'm really thankful for that. I'm thankful that, you know, it all panned out and we came up at a time that I think is easier to come up on, come up in than it is now. I think now while the tools are easier, there's a lot more voices on the internet now. It's harder to break through. And so some of it was just the luck of, of the timing for sure. Yeah. But I do think like the theme of meandering is a good one and that, um, and nothing really should is very intentional when you look at it in hindsight and, yeah. and exploring and meandering is really the way to kind of get your life where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, at some point I wish I had saved a link to it. This is like, I don't know, like a long time ago, maybe 10 years ago, somebody did a podcast about me. It was um, two Australian marketing guys where they had, uh, and someone sent me a link to it. So I listened to it and I was like, that's crazy. But you know, I have a show about you, huh. but they did a show about me where they like broke apart my you know online career. And they actually went back and looked at like, when did I first start blogging? When did I start doing guest spots on other people's podcasts? And when did I do my own? When did I write my books? And, and they were like, Oh, and you can see how, you know, he would like leverage each step to go to the next step. And, and they thought I had a master plan. And, you know, I, I think I emailed them at one point and said, no, guys, it was honestly hmm. not a master plan. You know, it just kind of just came together for me. But uh, definitely part of it for me was, and this is something I, I really haven't talked about much on air, is dissatisfaction with the law. And it wasn't that, you know, there are a lot of lawyers that are really good at it and love it. And there were parts of it I loved. I loved helping people. Uh, I loved the thrill of being in trial and I liked the kind of the intellectual pursuit of some of it. But overall I was never really cut out for it, you know, in hindsight, you know, Mm -hmm. once I, now that I'm out of it and I look back at it, um, part of it was I had an empathy problem where it was really hard for me to separate from the client. Like if things went bad for the client, I took it very personally. 
And um, there's just, you know, there was parts of me that weren't good at it. Like, I, I don't think I've ever shared the story. Did I ever tell you, Stephen, how I worked for a big firm for two weeks? Uh, I think you have, but I haven't heard it yeah. publicly. Yeah, I, I, one time I had, this is a long time before Max Sparky, I had a big trial. It went well. And um, it, it went really better than well. Sometimes you have trials, and for whatever reasons, um, it you just really accomplish all your goals and get a really good verdict. And the the lawyer on the other side was from a big firm, and after the trial, they offered me a job, and it was like a lot of money and a lot more money than I was making. And but I went and like once I got there, the kind of stuff they worked on, I didn't really agree with, and. I woke up and looked in the mirror and I'm like, you know, if I can just do this for like 10 years, I could probably make enough money to retire. And then I'm like, if I do this for 10 years, I'm going to die. This is not <laughs> going to, you know what I mean? It's just, it's just going to kill me. And it, so I actually, I, I lasted two weeks and then mm-hmm. I went back to the little firm. And so it's just like, I've, I was always like wandering as a lawyer. And, but meanwhile, this tech stuff was always of interest to me and just the feels I get from it. And, and now I, this is easier for me to talk about now that I I'm no longer a lawyer and I've been out of it for a year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, uh, the, the quote I always use is the David Foster Wallace quote about the goldfish where there's, you know, two goldfish swimming and another one comes by and says, Hey fellas, how's the water? And yeah, uh, I think, I think, in fact, I think that was the title of our last, uh, <laughs> feedback yeah. episode. Or your your year independent episode, maybe. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I've already shared that, but it really is now that I'm I'm separated from it. So I think I was always kind of looking a little bit without realizing it. You know, I mean, a lot of people were telling me as Max Barkey started to grow into something, they're like, "Oh, this is where you're going, right? You know, that's going to be where you end up. Just you're going to be doing that." And I always said, "No, I I like being a lawyer," and I did. You know, there were things about, like I said, I liked, and I never saw myself you know, just being Max Sparky. Sure. And, um, but now that I'm out, man, I am, uh, I am loving life. My, my sister told me, uh, that, you know, my mom, my mom's been dead now like 10 years. Uh, but she had told my sister, this is back in early days of Max Sparky. She had told my sister, Oh yeah, David's that's where David's going to end up. He's just going to be doing that stuff. <laughs> and, and so she saw it 10 years ago. So I, you know, I don't know, man, it, I, I don't think uh, the origin story is as intentional as you might think it is, right? The, insto- the origin story for both of us is just kind of live your life, be curious, be willing to meander at the same time, you know, that you pay for your shoes and see where that leads you. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. And if you're in the, the place where you can do that, you know, explore and experiment. And I mean, so much of what we've figured out over the years has been has been that. So. But I, you know, I felt like Sean had more intentionality about it. Like he knew where he wanted to end up. Yeah. But that's Sean, you know, that's, Uh, I was going to say, that's just Sean block. I mean, as long as I've known him, that's, that's, I feel like that's been the case. Yeah. But I, uh, man, I wouldn't trade my journey for the world. I, uh, some people ask, well, don't you wish you had done it? Like, cause I'm pretty happy now and things are going well and people are like, well, you should have done it sooner. Don't you wish you had done that sooner? I'm like, I'm not sure it would have worked if I did it sooner. You know, I am here today as I am because of the sum total of my experience. And and I can't second guess what has happened to me to get here because that's what led me to this point. Right. Does that make, 
Does that make sense? Oh, totally. I mean, sometimes you hear people like, oh, if you could go back in time and like change a decision or tell your younger self something, like I find those questions to be not that useful or interesting because like, I don't know like what conversation or what thing I would change and it would like drive me off course in a, in a different direction, right? Like if I hadn't started blogging about Apple when I left the Apple store, I would not have the job I have today because that led to meeting Mike. That led to the beginning of my shows that led to relay FM that led to that. Yeah. And yeah. Was starting a blog in 2008 about Apple, a smart idea, like not business wise, not for a long time, but it's something I wanted to do. And I had the, the opportunity to do it. So I did it. You just never know like what it's going to be. And, um, and I think the other thing, maybe the primary thing I've learned is like life on the internet career on the internet things take time it, it takes time to gain an audience to grow your business whatever it may be and you know you and i have actually very similar stories here in which we were building a content business for a really long time working a nine to five with a family yeah. and you know what yeah. those early years were really hard in, in hindsight and uh, i'm thankful for them but at the same time i'm i'm glad they're over and that we're able to graduate to sort of full-time content people, but yeah, it, it is, it is interesting and fun to look back sometimes and think about how, how things have panned out. Yeah. And that thing you said earlier about it being harder now, I agree with you, but I don't think it's impossible now either. No, I, it's not so many, so many people told Katie and I, when we started the show that we were too late, they're like, Oh, MacBook break weekly, blah, blah, blah. There's no room for a new podcast about Apple you should just go off and do something else. And and I just said, you know what? I have something to say. I think this is the idea. I'm going to do it anyway. And I kind of had the attitude that I'm going to make this, you know, if if only 10 people listen to it, it's going to be really good for those 10 people. And I think that's kind of the attitude or you have to bring to it. That means you're doing it because you really want to do it as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's been a fun journey for me, but it has not been as intentional as it might appear. And it's not over yet. I don't know where it's all going to end up, but man, I am, I am loving life at this point. I will say that. Amen. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite. Being a business owner or working closely with business owners means knowing your numbers. And if your business earns millions or maybe even tens of millions in revenue, stop what you're doing and take a listen. Because NetSuite by Oracle has just rolled out their best offer. NetSuite gives you visibility and control that you need to make better decisions and to make them faster. And for the first time in NetSuite's 22 years as the number one cloud financial system, you can defer payments of a full NetSuite implementation for six months. That's no payment and no interest for six months. You can take advantage of the special financing offer today. NetSuite is number one because they give your business everything you need in real time, all in one place to reduce manual processes, boost efficiency, build forecast, and increase productivity across every department. Having all the information you need in one place makes it so much easier to make decisions. And I know as a business owner what a difference that can make and how much easier everything operates when information is available to you. This NetSuite offer is an extraordinary time, so join the 33,000 companies who have already upgraded to NetSuite and gained visibility and control over their financials, inventory, HR, e-commerce, and more. 
If you've been sizing NetSuite up to make the switch, then you know this deal is unprecedented. No interest, no payments for six months. Take advantage of this offer at netsuite.com slash MPU. That's N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E. netsuite.com slash MPU. That'll let you get the visibility and control you need to weather any storm. Our thanks to NetSuite for their support of the show and Relay FM. All right, Stephen. Oh, enough of the hippie stuff. What are we playing with these days? You've got an entry here that I've been looking at all week. <laughs> I know. And I'm thinking, I what put it does in this mean? In the Google Doc, just to mess yeah. with you. So, Stephen, under what we're playing with, Stephen says Obsidian for class. Yes. So, I'm taking a course, uh, a three month course this spring, uh, non work related, but it is once, sometimes twice a week. <laughs> okay. Started this week and runs through May, uh, complete with like examination at the end, which would be very exciting. And this class involves a lot of reading and a lot of note-taking on those books and during our group meetings. And I knew that I wanted to have those notes be digital and not uh, like not in a notebook because I can type faster than I can write. And a lot of this material is going to be overlapping week to week. It's like, well, I also want a tool like I can see everything I've taken notes on, on, you know, whatever X aspect of the subject. Yeah. As so I was thinking about this and I was like, oh no, like it dawned on me. I was like, oh, it's obsidian. <laughs> like, uh, cause it's, it's going to be mostly text. There's not a lot of attachments and, uh, I get the backlinking and all that stuff and it's all marked down, which I like. And so I set up an I set up Obsidian, set up a vault. I got rid of all my old test stuff and I've played with it in the past. Yeah. And uh been using Obsidian now. Uh even though the class just started this week, I've been reading for a couple of weeks. And so I got some stuff in here and there's gonna be a lot more of it by the end of May. And um who who knew this is where I end up? I'd not have this on the bingo card for 2023. Yeah, but I mean I mean, it's just, it's the right tool. I mean, I don't know why you have a sense of dread about it. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, this is exactly what this tool is made for. So of course you should use it. Yeah. It's, and it's not dread. It's just more like, oh, I've given other people a hard time about their love for it. And yeah, um, I'm definitely like Obsidian 101 at this point. Like I've, I've tweaked a few things and I've got a couple of links here and there, but I think part of this is too, it's like, it's, it's a reason to get to to know this application that a lot of people I work with really speak highly of and it's very popular. And so there's also sort of that angle to it, my choosing it, but you know, I was in class on Sunday and had my, my one single MacBook pro that now the internet knows about and just like typing away. And, you know, we talked about something in a PDF and like, Oh, I can drag the PDF in as an attachment and link to it over here. And um, yeah, yeah, it's been an interesting, interesting so far. I mean, the real trick is the links. I mean, yeah. figuring out linking, I mean, that's the, that's really the magic of Obsidian, you know, two bracket, you're two brackets away from linking anything, mm-hmm. which can be good or bad. Like, I feel like people um, link too much in Obsidian yeah. and then it becomes junky. You've got to find that right balance for you and you're going to just accept that for the first couple months, it's going to take a while to get that, that yeah. figured out. Yeah. And, um, so the class isn't open ended, uh, you know. It's it's through May, and so it's like okay, this is like a a fixed sort of amount of time, fixed scope about what's going to go in here. 
And I feel like that's a good way to learn things for me, at least. And we talked about well, it earlier about day one versus notes, right? Like, this is where this stuff is going to go. It's not going to be in with my other things. Yeah. I mean, and I'm working hard in the background on the Obsidian Field Guide, so I'll start getting you some of the the back video. I'll give you, you'll be uh, customer zero for this. Awesome. I'll get it to you. Awesome. So you can watch it, but the uh, but I'll I'll finish that up about the time you finish your class. We'll we'll talk about it on the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd like to. Because so, sorry, it's not done sooner for you. No, no. Like in, in a in a way, like it's it's actually been interesting. I haven't read very much in terms of the Obsidian training stuff that's out there. It's like what is yeah. it? Just like to open this app and and start working with it. And parts of it have a pretty steep learning curve, and other parts don't. And so it's been it's been interesting, and I, I look forward to talking about that later in the spring well there, there's already multiple hours in the can of this next field guide so you're i'm gonna when we hang up today i'm gonna give you a bunch of stuff but the uh i i'm really curious to hear how it goes for you but i i think you're you're right on track man and and i i hope that it works for you and i'm looking forward to sharing that with the audience today we talked about the stream deck quite a bit during the show but i want to talk about it once more <laughs> um better touch tool has come out with its own alternate uh, a drive system for the the stream deck they mm-hmm. because better touch tool does everything now it can also program your stream deck where you can have it put individual buttons on but what they really recommend is you just let it take over the stream deck and you don't use the elgato software hmm. and i have spent in the last couple of weeks like probably about six hours playing with this feature and uh, we did an extended interview and coverage on it in the labs and I am mixed on it. I, I'm not really at the point where I'd recommend it. It's still a beta feature, and there's things about it that are way better than the Stream Deck software and things about it that are a little bit clunky, but it's still in beta. And the other problem for me is I'm using all the other Elgato. I have the Elgato Lite and the Elgato um, XLR thing, so a lot of the Elgato features that let me kind of program other Elgato things with my Stream Deck go away if I give up on their software. Hmm. So I'm not sure where I land with it yet, but this is what I'm playing with a lot. And man, it, it's really, they're both great options and you can, you just have to kind of choose what works for you. And I'm not at a point yet where I can make good recommendations, but I'm spending a lot of time playing yeah. with that. Um, so that's going to be something we probably talk about in the future on the show. But uh, it's very exciting to see a better touch tool kind of enter the fray with Stream Deck control because um, the guy who makes better touch tool is really clever and naturally you're going to have some really neat stuff come out of it. Definitely. You know, we get this question a lot of like, where do you draw the lines between better touch tool and keyboard maestro and these other things? The stream deck in a way complicates that even further, but I think the answer is there's just a lot of different ways to do similar autom- automation tasks on Mac OS. Yeah. And so find the yeah. tool that like jives with the way you think about these things. And for uh, a lot of people that's sh- shortcuts now and you can interact with shortcuts on the stream deck or an Alfred or launch bar everywhere else. Like there's overlap here between these tools, but um, I do really like just the widespread embrace of the stream deck uh, in these utilities, because it really is like, there's so much I do on my Mac, especially for work around my podcasts where the stream deck is my interface into a task. And I'm I'm psyched that I could use better touch tool and or a keyboard maestro and or shortcuts and or something else to manage these things. And uh, yeah, I think I think the better touch tool stuff, I was reading through the, their support stuff about it. I have a link in the show notes about it. 
and it is as full featured <laughs> as you think it would be because uh, that's how Better Touch Tool rolls. Yeah. And, you know, kind of that second point you made about choosing between them, the, the fact is you don't have to choose between them. We live in this golden age of automation on the Mac where all of these tools work with each other. So you can take the best parts of each one and combine them into an even better automation platform. It just depends how much time you want to invest in kind of learning them. But if you can get them under your fingers, it really gives you power on the Mac that we've never had before. I mean, I didn't say this earlier when we were talking about why do I love this little MacBook Air? Because the automate the Mac automation is so much more powerful than the iPad automation that I would rather have a Mac in front of me at this point because I can use all these tools on the go with my MacBook Air. Yeah. I, I think that plays a huge role in me owning that computer. Um, if I just wanted to read email and do the web or whatever, I wouldn't need it. Mm-hmm. But you know, there's so much more to it. The other thing I've been working on a bunch lately is in is in um, Keyboard Maestro. Um, I've been trying to perfect my uh, my uh, my script for screencasting because I am screencasting almost daily these days. And there's a bunch of things I want to do, and I thought I'd just share with the audience kind of what I'm up to here. In fact, I will make. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and promise right now. By the time this show publishes, I will have a public video out on what I'm doing uh, with this so the, the whole audience can get in it. Um, the, um, but I have this really cool script I've, I've been kind of perfecting, which toggles screencast mode on. And there's a bunch of things I want to do when I start screencasting. Uh, the first thing is I want to you know, limit my menu bar. Right. And so bartender is usually the app you would do for that. Right. Bartender is this great app that lets you kind of squeeze things together and take things off the active menu bar. But I also like having bartender running when I'm not, you know, when I'm not screencasting, I don't want to fill up my entire menu bar with information. So what I've done is I found another app called dozer. Yeah. Yeah. I think we talked about that on the uh, menu bar doc app. Exactly. So what I do now is I run Bartender when I'm not screencasting, and then I run Dozer when I'm screencasting, and they're both set up differently. So I do that. The other thing is I have a little Apple script I wrote that takes and turns the digital clock in the upper right corner to analog clock, you know, and that's actually harder to do than you think because the clock is always there now because that's the button for the uh, the little widgets, the slide out widgets. Yeah. So you can't just remove the clock. It's always there. But when you have a digital clock and people are watching the screencast, they can watch like a 10 minute gap while you screwed up and had <laughs> yeah. to redo everything. Yeah. You know? And, and I mean, it's just vanity really. I think people don't care that they see that the clock like just jump 10 minutes or an hour sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, um, but if you have an analog clock, I think they're much less likely to notice it. So I have a little script I wrote that toggles that. And then I have a keyboard shortcut and clean shot X to hide all the stuff on the desktop, which is another keyboard shortcut I run. And then I found an app called display menu, which is a great display menu app where you can change the resolution of your screen. Cause I've been trying forever to script the, the resolution because I actually make it a bigger screen or a bigger. How do you say this? The, the pixels are bigger 
you know, when you when you turn the dial down in the display settings on your Mac, so right, all the text you're is using bigger. yeah, uh, like a less dense arrangement, yes. but it makes it easier for someone watching on YouTube to see it. <laughs> exactly. So, but when I normally record, I or when I'm not recording, I have it at the most dense, you know, so I can get the most stuff on my screen. Uh, but I've been trying to script that through the system settings forever. I even at one point wrote Sal Sagoyan. I'm just, nobody knew a way to really do that. Apple doesn't make it easy. But then I found this little app called Display Menu that is Apple scriptable. So I can use running Display Menu, I can run an Apple script at that that sets the resolution um, to a um, to a, a less dense display. So I do all this. So all this stuff is a manual checklist, right? Every time you want a screen cap set the resolution you got to change the clock you got to do the the Mm -hmm. bartender thing you know i'm like this is obviously an automation thing so i automated all of that into one keyboard maestro script and i made two of them one of them that that makes it cool for screencasting and one of them that undo undoes all that stuff and puts it back to the way i want it yeah so i i toggle it and so that i've been having a lot of fun kind of like nailing that down and uh i'll put a video on maxbarky.com it'll be up by the time the show publishes, you can go check it and I'll put the downloadable script in. Honestly, that's a pitch for the Max Berkey Labs. This is stuff I do all the time in the labs. If you like that, go check it out. But the um uh but that's been a lot of fun for me. I'm such a nerd, Steven. That yeah. that's yeah. the kind of stuff that makes me jump out of bed. It's like, oh wow, I can uh, automate the display resolution. That's a weird problem. It is a weird problem, but it's also something you deal with a bunch. And so why not? find a way to yeah. fix it and make it and make it consistent. I think that's the other big thing, right? You don't want to be yeah. halfway through recording and look up and be like, Oh shoot, I didn't change the, uh, the clock. And like, now you're stuck with it or it changes midway through your project. Like, uh, I totally get it, man. The display uh, menu is a great example of kind of the apps that I love. I I don't know. I've, I've had no contact with the developer, but my, my guess is that somebody that's doing this is a little side project. But the fact that he took enough time to add code to his app to make it addressable via Apple Script just solved a problem that I've been trying to solve for years. And it's like it made me so happy when I realized he had Apple Script support in that app. Yeah. And it's like the paid version. You know, it's like I think you can get it for free, but if you pay him a couple bucks, it's I, I don't remember it being particularly expensive, then he gives you the Apple Script support. And I'm like, that, you know, man. Guys like that, I just want to support them all day long. Mm-hmm. Or gals. Yeah. Anyone. Hey, anyone who's still uh putting Apple script into new applications, like our hats are off to you. You know, people ask me about that. They're like, should I even like be bothering with Apple script at this point? I think you should. I think Apple script still has a lot of use. Uh it only works on the Mac. So if you're yeah. doing most of your stuff on the iPhone or the iPad, then it's not worth your time. But if you spend a lot of time on your Mac, there's just a bunch of things that only can be done with Apple Script, like this display thing. I, I don't know any other way to do it. And the same thing with the clock, you know. And actually, the clock, my script is calling a shell script. So I, <laughs> I'm using shell script for that. But the, uh, but there's a lot of things that you bump into that only Apple Script work on. And there's some great forums out there where people will help you. You don't necessarily need to become a a master at it, but you just need to kind of get the basic mechanics and know where to go to do searches for people that have already solved the problem or can help you solve it. And Apple scripts being 
an escape hatch for shortcuts makes me feel better about its long-term viability. Like, I don't think Apple Script's ever going to get some massive overhaul where it's, like, shiny and new. But having it in there with JavaScript automation and going out to a shell, like, uh, that, they didn't have to do that, right? Shortcuts just didn't work with AppleScript out of the box. They had to build that. So someone at Apple still thinks it's it's important and uh, and a valuable automation tool. Agreed. Um, and there are some people that have been there since they added AppleScript. Yeah. And uh, but I also think it's going to be it would be too much work for them to pull it out. So I don't. I mean, there's a whole bunch of reasons why AppleScript's not going away. One of which is they're using AppleScript at Apple to make their systems work. Mm-hmm. So they're not going to they're not going to kill it. All right. Well, that was a fun feedback episode. Absolutely. Steven is full of surprises. I didn't know when you said class, I could see you also like teaching because mm. I know you go give lectures over at the uh, university's uh, program sometimes too. So uh, I'm, uh, I'm curious to hear how the subsidian experiment goes with you. I think you're going to love your new Mac. I don't know what you're going to spring on me next, though. I, I don't know what's left. You've changed your screens. You changed your. Maybe he's going to tell me he's using an Android phone next week, guys. You better tune in. And mm, find out. Mm, I don't. I don't know about that one. Yeah. Either way, uh, we are the Mac Power Users. You can find us over at relay.fm/mpu. You can find our forums at talk.macpowerusers.com. Thank you to our sponsors: One Password, Squarespace, Indeed, and Netsuite. And we will see you next week.